Welcome to the Lead with Empathy podcast. I am your host, Holly Logan, and here we are going to have meaningful and hopefully some fun conversations about motherhood, parenthood, illness, disease, physical and mental wellness, nutrition, and beyond. And as the title implies, we lead here with empathy. With that said, let's dive into the episode. All right, podcast fam, I'm excited for this one. Today's podcast is with Allie of Financially Focused. I will put that in the show notes. Allie was wonderful. One thing I love to talk about is finances. I love talking about building generational wealth. I love to give the little tips and things that my husband and I have learned. I have chats with people privately all the time about financial wellness because my husband and I did not come from financially stable households. So when things changed for us and we are in a lot of students, debt. We go into this in the episode, but how to manage it all became something new to us to explore. And I say in the episode that I see this on social media, that there are things that quote unquote wealthy people do for their kids. And we're not taught those things. We're not taught, like I believe that every person can save for retirement and save and build generational wealth in their homes. And I say that very gently because I understand too, I'm coming from a very different place from where my parents were, from where my grandparents were, and same for my husband. But we are going to talk about budgets. That's what Allie does a lot with budgeting. She talks about her experience with becoming debt-free, paying off as a married couple, six figures of debt. And then we also get into some of the tangible things that you can do for yourself and even for your children to build generational wealth. And I love that. Wealth and money is a difficult, hard conversation, but it is something we will manage for the rest of our lives. And that's why I think it's important to have those conversations. All of her details will be in the show notes, including a free financial foundations course that she offers. And side note, I had a cold when I was in this episode. Unfortunately, I didn't want to reschedule on anyone because it's a viral season. I could be sick this week, next week, any day. But I apologize if my voice was a little more quiet, but I do apologize. It is what it is, right? It's the viral season. We got to keep going. But I apologize if my voice sounds funny. But we're going to dive in today into finances and wealth with Allie. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Allie. So today, this is something kind of different. I have not done a financial episode yet, but I'm really excited about this because I think we don't talk enough about wealth and finances and management as families enough. It can be uncomfortable. And I think that word wealth even has like this negative connotation. So tell us your story about how you became debt-free at 25 and married into $154,000 in debt and kind of transform your and your family's life. Yeah. So thanks for having me. I am so excited to talk about money. To your point too, I think finances and wellness are so connected, you know, money and wellness. So I think it isn't talked about enough. And I think it's still such a taboo topic. People are nervous to talk about money with friends and family. And my whole goal is to make money more conversational and just like, you know, kind of take the pressure off of money conversations. But yeah, a little about me. I became debt free as an individual at 25. I met my husband when I was 23, I think. So I was kind of like early on my financial journey when I met him. Um, we talked about money on like our third date because I was one of those like weirdos that was like, so, you know, what's going on? Not what's, in specific numbers. What's but your just, credit? score just like where you know do you have financial goals type of thing but he thought he had around a hundred thousand dollars of debt it was mostly student loan and it turns out it was 154 which when we totaled it when we were engaged and it wasn't even that he lied he just truly which i think with so many people just didn't know because he just paid the minimums and kind of was just like i'm just gonna pay minimums forever like there's no way i could actually like pay this off and like it just kind of becomes what the norm 
unfortunately, with when you have a lot of debt, you're scared to look at it and you're just like, whatever, I'll pay the minimums. It is what it is. And unfortunately, some of his as well, like grew because depending on how your interest is set up with student loans, some of the balances are actually more than when he got the loans out. So long story short, we got married. We're in six figures of debt. And, you know, a lot of the advice out there, even when I started this journey and started as a blog in 2017, kind of sharing what I was doing. But when I started my own journey, a lot of the advice on the internet was one, very male driven. There wasn't really any women experts or just creators talking about money. And also it was very like deprivation based. It was if you have debt, you know, you can't go into a restaurant. If you have debt, you shouldn't be doing anything. And I remember being 21 and thinking like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, I don't want to sit here and do nothing while, you know, we work to pay off debt. And then we got married, same type of philosophy. I was like, I'd rather, you know, take a little longer to pay it off and live our lives, still save, still invest, do things. And so that's what we did. And that's something that I help people do with now. I think that's one of my, I guess, specialties is like being able to manage multiple goals at the same time. So figuring out how you can pay off debt and still save and invest and spend. And I truly believe if I didn't figure out a way to do all of it, I wouldn't be where I am today, where you know, we're in our forever home now, which is a 25 acre farm. We'll reach a million dollars invested before 65. Like all those things, if I didn't start when I did and I really waited to just pay off debt, like I feel like I would have been behind. So I think finding that balance and finding kind of the groove and strategies that work is just really important. How did you learn? Do you have like your major in accounting? Like where did you yeah. start? So, um, no, my undergrad was international business and supply chain and minors were Chinese and Spanish. But no, it was honestly, so I do have my MBA in finance, which kind of came, I guess, in the middle of the journey. I got my MBA in 2018 is when I graduated. So I was already kind of really into finance when I got my MBA. So I do have the, I guess, technical degree in finance. Um, but honestly, it was a lot of self-taught. I were like, I graduated at 21 um, college and I had my first, you know, quote unquote, big girl job. And I then realized how much of my paycheck I lost to taxes. And I realized I had to buy a car. Thankfully, I didn't have expensive taste in cars, but I bought a new car. It was a 2013 Hyundai Tucson, which I actually still have. We just got a new car, but I'm keeping my car because I'm attached to it. It's I've had it for 10 years. It's like my child. But I had a $415 car payment. You know, I had other things and was also 21. So I was like, how do I like I want to go on trips with friends. You know, I don't want to like just sit here and eat, you know, ramen and it's or am easy and amazing because you were in like an undergraduate degree with in the finance world and yet no one teaches you how to manage manage money. And you were in a money undergrad. It's, it's amazing to me to think about that. Where did you start? We are like, OK, Ali, I need to sit down and really figure out how much I'm taking in, what I'm actually getting in my paycheck after all the necessities are paid, how much I have. Is that where you started? Yeah. So I am, if you couldn't tell, very type A and I love spreadsheets. It's just like spreadsheets are my love language in some way. I probably reviewed like over a thousand budgets at this point and I could like review budgets all day, um, which I know most people are probably rolling their eyes like that sounds terrible, but I am a spreadsheet person, but I'm also a very simple spreadsheet person. Even mine now and ones that I like when I work with people, they're very basic. I can't function with like 15 tabs and 7 million charts that show me everything. I know some people love that level of detail, but for for me, I'm like, I want to get in and get out. Like, I want to be able to open it, see what's going on, make adjustments and move on. So mine are very simple. I did have a budget pretty much right away. And then a lot of the learning was just from like, at the time, it was like blogs, um, books, and just like my own trial and error. <laughs> you know, a lot of mock budgets, a lot of figuring out what works and what doesn't work and just kind of starting to form kind of what 
you know, it's been years in the making of like what I do now and, you know, what I help people do now. So it's kind of it's been a it's been a journey, but I would say, yeah, spreadsheets and then just kind of at the time podcasts weren't as big like in 2013. Um, so I didn't really listen to podcasts or if they were big, I did not listen to podcasts in 2013. But a lot of blogs really was the main thing. And so when you have someone that comes to you, is that where you start and you say like, we're going to sit down and here's this spreadsheet. Is that like step one? Yeah. So pretty much for me, budgeting is in like even my in my group program, budgeting module four. So a lot of people start with budgeting. But really, the first thing I always do is like we kind of reflect on what's going well, what's not first. So like literally writing down like what are things in your life, financial life, things that you feel like you do OK? Like it could be as simple as my bills are paid on time. You know, like it can be just basic as like I do check my account or I have an overdrafted. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, these huge things, but those are wins. And then also what are things that aren't going well? So, you know, I don't budget or I tried and I failed or I don't know how to pay off debt and save, like what is not going well. And then we also touch on some mindset piece to that because statistically, I think there's like studies out there that say like most of your money mindset is formed by age like seven or eight, just based on your upbringing and then working through that, especially if you are married or you do, you know, combined finances. It's not just your own money past, but your partner's money past because you might have been raised like very differently when it comes to finances. My husband and I were raised pretty differently. You know, things we observed from our parents, things we were taught, you know. And then so when you're combining, it's like you have to think of the other person. So we talk about understanding what you were taught or maybe not taught, things you observed, you know, about money, even if they didn't, you know, show you a budget. But like, did you see your parents, um, you know, card get declined every day or like them maxing out cards or them saying, you know, we can't buy this or were they someone who splurged on everything? Because depending on, you know, if you had money or didn't, you maybe that's the reason why you hoard money because you're scared you won't have some or maybe it's a reason why you spend everything because you didn't have money growing up and you feel like now I've worked so I want to buy everything so understanding your past is so important before we even get to the budget just so that we can start seeing like you know emotional triggers and things like that that would help explain why you overspend or why things happen it's amazing you're talking about a past and our childhood and connecting it to money and I don't think enough people think about that and how, again, even the word money or wealth bothers us in a, so much of it. it I, I'll have to find that it's interesting that you said by seven or eight, we've already kind of developed this relationship with money. And one of the reasons I also wanted to meet with you is my husband and I have learned so much. And we always say we're so lucky because both sets of grandparents on both sides were not wealthy at all by any means, struggled significantly. My grandmother on one side was an immigrant and his grandparents were both very poor on both sides. And then our parents kind of took on some of that, but also like both of our moms were stay-at-home moms for a while, but kind of like one did Tupperware, one had their own business just to like help with the family while the dads work. We, you know, pretty traditional setting in, in our case. And then now, you know, we went to college and we feel really lucky that we were able to do that. But now when my husband was done, we both went to graduate school. When we were both done, we were over $600,000 in debt. And I've never said that on here, but that's a lot of money, right? And so one of the first things that we did was met with a financial advisor because I think people think that you just know like, oh, if you have this income coming in, you know where it's going to go and how it's going to be managed. But our student loan payment was close to at one point five digits a month, student loan payments, which is just 
insane. You're shaking and your eyes are getting big because for (laughs) some people, for some people don't understand, I'm not going to go into like healthcare and all of that and why everything's so expensive. But when you look at people who went to graduate school to help people, and then that's the debt you put them in, then we have to figure out how to manage it. And meeting with a financial advisor was truly life-changing for us because you just kind of touched on this, but one of the number one things, and this wasn't an overnight process, but my husband and I had to figure out uh, a compromise because we came from different mindsets and he grew up in kind of like that old school Ramsey household to the extent of like in terms of where money is spent, I guess, and paying off debt, et cetera, which I love to an extent because I hate debt. Debt to me, I, I don't want it. I don't I hate debt. For him, though, there was also this ingrained in his one of his sides of his family about retirement, retirement, retirement. So what we learned when we met with a financial advisor is we had to come to a middle ground because me, I was like, throw all of that money at debt all the time, all the time. And for him, it was like retirement, retirement, retirement. And we had to come to a compromise. And this took like a long time with a financial person, with a mediator, basically, to come to a center because we had very different views. And so I share that because it sounds like that's partially what you do is you like me, if you especially have couples, if you have single people, it's obviously a little different. But if you have couples, it's coming together and figuring out you have two different views on money, which is fine because we all come from our own experiences. But now we need to figure out how are we going to find that compromise of maybe of one person who's like, we have the money, we're going to spend it now. Or you have one person that's like, no, we're going to save it until we're 65. So you have to find that compromise. And that sounds like partially what you do. I, I share that for a reason. Yeah, no, it's so true. I always tell people, like when I work with couples, I always say like, I will be your kind of like middle woman. <laughs> and I, you know, just sometimes it helps. One, it helps people be less defensive, you know, if it's like, oh, well, Ali says that versus like, you know, some people are like, I don't want to say that to my husband or whatever, because like he'll be like, no, you know. And same thing other way. So sometimes it helps to have like, you know, a middle person kind of just like give kind of not biased opinions on things. Like, you know, my opinion is based on pretty much numbers, right? Or kind of their goal. But I see it all the time. And back to like the mindset pieces, it's super common, I would say, where you people don't agree on at least certain aspects of finances. Or in my case, I work with couples too, where there's like financial inequality. So someone makes more or someone has more debt or someone has more saved. And, you know, you have to really work on that because you can get to a point of like resentment or frustration if you don't. And, you know, for me, I worked through those emotions from a debt perspective because I was debt free. I was marrying into six figures of debt. And it's like, I technically did nothing to get this debt, right? And um, there was, you know, I kind of let myself have my moment. And then I was like, all right, I can sit here and kind of sulk about it, but that's not going to pay it off. And to separate our finances and say, you pay it off, like that just hurts us both in the end because we're not going to be able to read gold faster. He's not going to be able to do anything because all of his money would have to go to debt. I also made more and, you know, still make more. So, you know, it was like, why would that make sense to kind of like tell him to do debt? So it's it takes time. And it, I mean, it, for some people, it takes years to get to that point, but it takes a lot of open, honest discussions. And one thing I think we've done really well is I never hold anything financial. And I always sit over someone. I think that that like if you're going to do that, you have your own problems to work through. But like I've never once said like I make more than you. This is what we're doing or like you have to like I think if you you have to like fully let that go, that cannot be a place in any kind of, you know, argument or discussion because you have to realize, especially married, like you are a team, you know, and I think having couple goals 
goals or family goals is important, but also having individual goals is just as important because like my interests aren't necessarily the same as my husband's and that's totally fine and very normal. So like, you know, you need to support each other and be saving and allocating money for, of course, things that you both want, but also things that, you know, each of you want as individuals. So where would someone start if they're like, I want to have this conversation with my partner. I feel like we're off track or maybe I have this vision and I don't hold, I'm envious of it, but we don't, we don't really vacation. We have little things that we do, but like if someone's like, I really want to save in this year, 2024, I want to go on vacation and I want to figure out how to save for that. I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow. We're not going to put it on a credit card and then be in debt. But I would really like to make it a goal that we go on a vacation. But I know my spouse or my partner is going to have big reactions to that for whatever reason. Like they believe in X, Y, or Z and they just don't want to allocate money that way, et cetera. How do you start that conversation? What are you saying to people of like start having these conversations to have a better relationship with money and a better relationship with each other about money? Yeah. So a few things. One, you kind of have to know how involved, you know, you plus your spouse want to be in the day to day financial stuff. So some people were like sit down budget meetings like that works for both of them. I tried that once in 2018, a first budget meeting with my husband. And that was our last budget meeting. Um, He was like, no, like I'm not sitting here. I came with like a binder and I printed everything out and he was like, nope. This is just not this is not going to work out. So you have to learn like and for me, like I said, I am very spreadsheet like driven and he's just not. And so you have to understand like your partner or spouse might not want to sit there and that's okay. Like that doesn't mean there's anything wrong and you have to back meet each other in the middle. So I always say start. You know, if your partner does want budget meetings, that's a great place to start. Maybe you have to gather all the data. I've had that. Like I've worked with a lot of women who are married, but their husband. So I'm like, you have to do the legwork then. Like you log into your accounts, get all the information out there, kind of start creating things and then come to your spouse and be like, hey, this is kind of where we're at. Like, what's your feedback or keep it conversational. I mean, that's a great place to start if you're not ready to, if you know, you're not ready to necessarily dive into the details financially yet, you can be like, hey, you know, what is one of your big money goals for this year? Or like, what is something that you would love to keep in the budget? You know, how do you feel about, you know, paying off debt and savings? Like ask them questions to get their feedback and make them feel like included instead of coming at them as like, I want to do this this year. So like, let's make it happen. You know, what is one thing you would love to spend money on this year? And then like, say they say something that you don't want to be like, cool, like I would really love to go on a trip, you know? So like how, you know, let's look at the numbers and see how we can do both, you know, or if their main thing is saving for a different goal, then you both have to save, then you're going to save for both goals, right? Like you're going to save for your trip and save for something else. And you work that into your budget. Or if their goal, like they're very debt payoff focused, you can be like, when we hit, you know, this debt payoff milestone, say like when we pay off a thousand dollars or we pay off five thousand, then I would really like to take some of that and allocate a little portion to saving for a trip, right? Like you kind of find that middle ground. But I think it starts with like, you know, you talk about the weather, you talk about work gossip, you talk about your friends, you know, with your partner and just kind of keeping that energy, that line of like, casual energy about money instead of coming at them like, okay, according to our account, we did that, you know, we're like, because some people aren't, like you said, aren't responsive to that. Like I am, like my mom's in it spread just like you, like she loves spreadsheets and oh, she could talk them all day long. And I actually love, I've from a very young age, like I had my own account and I used to like put some money in the checking and some in the savings. And then I've like had to use that savings for like 
X, Y, or Z have always been, I keep my money like spread out. I've always liked it that way, but it was hard coming together again with finances because we just had these different views. And I love that you say just have making it conversational. Every time doesn't have to be like, all right, well, we're in six figures in debt. What are we going to do about this today? It's like, let's be honest, it's not going to happen today. And there is some disappointment. Like if I came to you and I said, or went to my partner and said, I really want to take a vacation this year. And they're like, mm. even if they were like on it, it's not going to happen. You know, we looked all the numbers. It is not just going to happen. And there is some disappointment. And I think people have to understand that too, that it doesn't mean, I personally feel that doesn't mean you're going to necessarily get those things this year, but it doesn't mean that you can't plan for it in the next year. Like, it's not like when you were 25 and you married your partner, we're going to buy a 25 acre home, right? That was like, okay, that's our five-year plan or whatever it was, but what can we make changes for today? And so what do you, when you're talking to clients or you're meeting with people, what is like a common mistake that people make that can be changed within like the next day, two weeks, month, not like five years? What are some of the common mistakes you think people people make that could be changed now? Yeah. So I think one, and I also do this kind of before creating a budget is not really knowing your numbers. So like I always say before you do a budget, you need to do a money audit because most likely there's some like low hanging fruit things we could probably change within the next like 10 to 15 minutes. Maybe there's subscriptions you have that were free trials and now aren't. Maybe there's, I just worked with someone and um, he has a lot, he has four kids and he found out that they actually had two Netflix accounts they were paying for. You know, and things, things like that happen all the time or your kids download some app and you forgot or even maybe you have a gym membership you're not really using and maybe you want to downgrade it or choose a different option or maybe you have multiple. I've had people where they have like an online gym program and then a real gym and then they have, all you know, all this other stuff and it's like, all right, why don't we pick one? So doing a money audit helps for multiple reasons. One, to see what are things you can literally cut today. Another thing is what can you negotiate? I think pretty much all bills you can negotiate minus maybe like your mortgage, but because you'd have to like refinance and stuff. But anything that you have that is, you know, subscription based or even, you know, like Internet, phone, if you haven't negotiated in the last year, it does not hurt to chat with customer service and call and see what you can get. Worst case scenario is you literally pay what you're still paying. Best case, you know, you get a discount. I always ask for discounts, especially like when I'm ordering things online, because usually there's something I can get. Um, It also helps you see third reason is to see if you do have a budget or you think you have a budget is if your numbers are even realistic, because maybe you're budgeting $200 for groceries, but your numbers are showing me you're spending 400. So you're never going to stick to your budget ever because you're already off, you know, so we want to be realistic with our budget. Maybe you think $400 is too much, but uh, most people are their poor reaction is to cut it, you know, oh my God, I can't believe I'm spent or takeout, right? Like, can't believe we're spending $500 a month on takeout. We're now never eating out. And like, that's not the way to go. Instead of spending 500, make your goal this month to spend 400 because that's, you know, and then make your goal the next month to spend 300 until you get to a point you're comfortable with. But I always tell people like, if you're eating out seven days a week, you are not in one week now going to eat out zero days a week. One, you don't have like the plan, the mental plan, emotional, you know, like you have to get stuff together. And then you're going to be disappointed in yourself, you know, when you don't do that. So the money audit, I'd say, is something you can do. It takes time, obviously, but there's usually some quick wins we can get like within a few days. The electronic thing is like a wonderful and awful thing because, you know, the days of like, 
remember having a debit card as like a young teenager or whatever. It is wonderful, but having cash is also like in and out. Like I pay this bill, I pay this bill. Having the electronic thing is wonderful, but also like, yeah, you're, you don't even know necessarily, okay, what's coming in? What am I getting my paycheck? And then if I go to the store and I get groceries, like what is it actually now? What does that number look like? I have a thousand dollars in my account. I take out 250. Now I'm at 750. It's harder when you're like you have to constantly check an account versus the cash in your hand. It's hard. Like it, you make it simple, but at the same time, people have to, there is an effort there. But if you want to achieve these goals, whether it's like a goal in one year or five years or 10 years, it's really important. And a lot of us just weren't taught how to do that, especially in school. I always say either you have to self-teach, like you have to figure it out. Or I mean, there's obviously a few people, I'd say it's very low percent that like did have parents who like taught them all of this. But I would say that's definitely not the norm. Or you have to like, you know, do research or join something and figure out, you know, how to do it. But, you know, for me now, I always say it takes a while to get set up like the budget and money audit and all that. But once you have a plan and you know, like how to adjust it, like for me, it's like 15 minutes a week I check in and like everyone has 15 minutes. For me, it's Friday mornings. That's when like um, my husband gets paid weekly. I get paid twice a month. So like we do a weekly budget. And so like every Friday is when I will like log in, you know, make adjustments, pay things, move things to savings. It takes me like 15 minutes and I move on with my day. Like I, you know, it's not something that, yes, it might take a lot of time in the beginning. I'm not promising anyone that you're going to start yeah. at 15 minutes a week. But. Right, right, right. You you do. But the goal there is to really deep dive. And so that way you are only thinking about it 15 minutes a, a week. And so it's not consuming hours of your week where you're just overwhelmed with finances all the time, but you are taking a conscious look at it. And I think even sometimes it's hard for us to take that conscious look at it. And I'm not here to like give financial advice or anything like that, but how do you feel about credit cards? I'm just curious. I love credit cards. I pretty much exclusively use credit cards. I think it's been probably like four years since I've even swiped my debit card minus to take out occasional cash. <laughs> I think me too, because I think for a couple of reasons, and maybe yours are different, if you don't know how a credit card works and you are the type that like, oh, I'm just going to swipe, swipe, swipe and not be able to pay it, that's very different. But what I found, I've had a credit card for a long time, but what I like or enjoy about it now is what I do, and I think I've shared this on my social media, is my credit card is linked to a couple of, like an app. So my card gets cash reward back. It's linked to an app where when I swipe it at certain stores, I get points back. And I actually have another one that does the same thing. And so I use it for the holidays. And by the end of that, I end up with points that get me gift cards and money towards other places. And I used to use it actually on the holidays um, every year. But this year, what I did is actually said, Holly, if you actually take all of that and turn it into gift cards, some credit cards will give you like, oh, for a $90 of your cash back, you get a $100 gift card. And if I do that for the places where I usually buy my groceries or things, then for like all of the next month, I actually don't need to spend money at those places, which is kind of cool. So I think there are rewards and different things related to credit cards that can be helpful to save for a long-term thing. Like same with if you're going to get cash back and you want to save for a vacation, that's kind of an easy way to, you know, save that money for a vacation. So is that kind of what what do you like about them or and don't like? What do you not like about them as well? Yeah, I think to your first point is I always say if you struggle with credit cards or you're currently like, you know, deep in paying off credit card debt, I don't recommend using them. I know some people have to because like when they start working with me, like they don't have the cash. We kind of have to work to getting out of the credit card cycle where you put everything on the credit card. So it might take time. And I always say if you can use if you can stop using the card, you're trying to 
to pay off because then it just gets complicated when you're like putting stuff on, but you're trying to pay it off. So if you struggle with credit cards, you know, I think it's good to take a break. And for some people, I have someone right now who it's like a mental thing, like she's nervous to use them. And we're working on like slowly kind of letting herself trust credit cards again because she did have so much credit card debt and now she's nervous. So we started with one expense. And that's an, I'm not, I always tell people that's a great way to start. If you want to get into credit cards, don't do this all or nothing approach. Choose like your subscriptions. Maybe you just put like Netflix and Hulu on it. And because it's the same thing every month, you know to pay it, you know, kind of build your credit card muscle to an extent instead of going from, you know, using nothing to using all the variable expenses. Because if you struggled in the past, it's easy to kind of get back in that cycle. But I am like you. I use them mostly for travel rewards. I have a travel card for my personal and cash back. And then for my business, I have a cash back and now a new travel. But the credit card sign bonuses are great. I opened a new one. I would say I'm more of like a beginner travel hacker. I don't go open and close a million cards, but it's that's not for, good for your credit. That's not good yeah, for your credit either. It's paid for a lot of trips. Our honeymoon was paid for with credit card points. We have like we got our five-year anniversaries this year, so most of it will be covered with credit card points. So it'll be a free trip. So they definitely have benefit, um, you know, if you just obviously don't pay interest and don't give them any money, then I I think it's much. Also, from a fraud perspective, it's actually better. That's what I like, too. I feel like I get so nervous using my debit card. Having it hacked makes me more nervous because that's my real money versus like the credit cards, my fake money. Yep. And I mean that in a gentle way. Like they've alerted me. I can put specific alerts, like anything over a certain amount. I think it's like $40 on my credit card. I get a text message. I go to the grocery store. I swipe that thing. It is instant. So I, I like that protection too. Yeah, I have it where anytime a card is swiped, any amount, I get a text. So it's fun to see sometimes like, because my husband and I are like on the same thing. So I'll be like, oh, he's here right now. Cause yeah, I'm that's what I do too. My husband has mine too. So it's kind of like, oh, what did you spend there? The other major thing I want to talk about that we, again, as I kind of said, our families did not come from this mindset and this knowledge, but it was built in more on my my husband's side. There was someone who's just like learned and kind of built it into their lives. But retirement, retirement is something I learned about. And when we met with a financial advisor, why it's important. And I've learned on you know other podcasts listening to, and I think we don't learn about enough how important it is and how even like because of compounding interest. Now, there are a lot of people who don't care or understand compounding interest. Like they don't enjoy math. They don't enjoy spreadsheets. But basically what they need to understand is putting even $5 away every month. What that will look at when you retire in, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years is really important. How do you approach with your clients who have like, what the heck is retirement? I don't even like, I don't need to be thinking about retirement. I'm 21. What's your thought and your approach to retirement? Yeah. So for me, I I mean, one thing I think, not one thing I think I did well, but one of the things I think I did really well was starting um, at 21 which I know some people listening might be like, well, I'm 30 or I'm 40 and I can't. And that's fine. You can literally start today. But if your employer, if you have like a typical W-2 job and your employer offers, um, you know, a 401k match or anything, that's technically part of your compensation package. And I highly recommend at least contributing up to the match. Uh, my first employer out of college matched a certain percent. So I just did that. And like, that account alone reached six figures by the time I was 29. And that account alone will get me to a million before I'm 65. Like just that, if I put nothing else in that account now will be a million. Like I don't have to contribute. My point is obviously the earlier to start, I mean, I didn't even put that much in it um, to your point of compound interest. And 
Another thing I started when I really started learning more about retirement as well is like a Roth IRA is so easy to open. Anyone can do it. You can even do it if you're self-employed. Even starting to your point of $25, for me, I started at $50 because I was like, this is it. Like, I can't, you know, I don't have hundreds a month. And there was months I skipped it and that's okay, you know, like, but the point is, is building that habit of having that line item there, opening the account, seeing it and just contributing. And if there's a time period in your life where maybe, I don't know, you have to cash flow something and you can't, that's okay. But if you can continue that, I mean, there's so many fun compound interest calculators online. Mine, I just Google compound interest calculator and the one that comes up first is my favorite. But let's say you put, started at zero, you put $20 a month in for 40 years. And let's just say your interest rate is 2%. You know, you're going to have 14, almost $14,500 ish in 40 years. But if you do a conservative interest rate of 8%, which I feel like is pretty conservative in the stock market, you'll have a little over $62,000 for contributing the exact same amount for 40 years. And it's $20. Like I, I didn't put in 500, which obviously will get you a lot more. And yes, people might be like $62,000 isn't enough to retire, which yes, but that's $20 a month. At some point too, as you pay off debt, you'll be able to contribute more as you reach certain savings goals. You know, it's never a linear retirement journey. It's not like, you know, maybe you are in your 20s, putting $20 is great or $50. But then when you pay off debt or you get to certain life stages, maybe now you're putting 100 in or 200, you know, you're kind of staggering it. So I think my most important message is just starting and it's really not as complicated as, you know, it'll take you five minutes to open a Roth IRA. You just can choose like low cost index funds and just let, let it, it sit run. and let it go. And I th- one thing I love that you said that because I think some people do fear or sometimes when I listen to things that now I understand, but I did not before is like you should be taking 19% of your income and investing that. And a lot of people are probably like, especially hearing this and everything that's going on and the cost of food, 19%, most people will not be able to do that. It's almost like, a, again, a disappointment. It's like, oh, just $20. And there are people who are investing 200. It's not worth it, etc. But you have to remember that every person starts somewhere. And like you said, as you grow, as you pay off debt, you might be able to contribute that 200 someday. Right, exactly. So it's kind of just giving yourself a starting point and just deciding today's the day I'm going to, you know, start investing. And my kind of math is always like if your employer offers like some kind of match, that's an easy way to start. That's just like super simple. And then a Roth IRA is great. Or if you don't want to manage it. There's robo advisors that have like really low fees. You don't need a financial like a someone managing your account if you're putting it, you know, if you don't have a lot and because one, their fees are insane, but you can start with a robo advisor. You can do it yourself and just find like low, you know, one that tracks S&P 500 or something and just start there. I was reading a book by Tony Robbins and he gives you like some of the numbers, like if you put this amount and you just drop it in the S&P and you just don't touch it and you don't have someone manage it versus if you have someone manage it, how much money you lose out on. Now, this is not, again, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not against financial advisors because we have accounts where we have people help us because we we need people to understand it. And I'm not, again, I'm just saying if you're starting from, look, I'm self-employed, I can't or I don't have access or I can't afford X, Y, or Z, and I just want to start somewhere, I think that's a really easy way to start um, is just taking even $10, $20, like you said. Yeah. And there's like I said, there's so many apps. Like I have one, I'm not sponsored. I just have one um, with Betterment, but there's like Elvest. There's a ton of like robo advisors where they'll help you choose funds, but their fee, since it's a computer choosing it versus a person, are so much lower. But if you're like, okay, like you can literally Google low cost ETF, 
S&P 500 will give you options. You can Google that and just choose one. And I think one mistake I see sometimes too is people will put money in a Roth and think, oh, I put it, but you have to actually invest the money. You have to then, once you contribute to your account, you have to then choose a fund or else it's just going to sit in pretty much a glorified savings account. So just make sure that if you do put it in, you're actually like investing it into some type of fund or else you're going to be a little disappointed in 20 years when you realize that you actually did not invest but, in it. Yeah, yeah, that would be bad. And that's where I think people get a little uncomfortable though, because it is like, well, what if I mess it up? So there are some good books and resources. Do you have some that you really like too? The one book I love that I've read is called The Simple Path to Wealth. It goes into really specifics of his account. He was like a in kind of the financial independence, retire early kind of community. And he, I think it was actually like he wrote a whole series on his blog and then turned it into a book. That book is super easy to understand. I'd say it's very popular in the finance community when it comes to like understanding the stock market and like managing things yourself. He goes through different fund examples. So that's like super easy. Um, I think there's so many like online resources now. I mean, even I don't ever manage anyone's funds. That's something obviously I don't do, but I help educate on like what terms are like, what is expense ratio? What are mid cap funds that are large, you know, just the terms. So even if you just Google like fund examples or like in my program, I have like me walking through like, if you look up a fund, this is what this means. This is what, and just to educate on like what it means is so helpful and helps people feel like, okay, like I can do this because it really isn't that complicated. Kind of like the fear of the unknown, like you haven't done it before. So you're like, oh, everyone, everyone does it. I can't do it. And then once you just kind of put a little bit of time in, it's not, it's not that bad. I think it's sad to me in many ways. And I've heard this on other podcasts too, that we don't teach this even at like 16, because I think again, money and wealth, all kids come from different aspects. So I can't remember. Oh, it was, um, I believe it was Kevin Hart on a podcast because he is actually, I think, very involved in financial wellness in certain communities because of where he grew up. And I think it's really interesting. We don't teach this at 16 because again, there's like almost this discomfort with it, right? You said your kids are very young, but if you like when they get older and they can understand it, we're getting, we're diving. My oldest is six. So we're just like learning money and, you know, are are you going to do anything special with your kids in terms of like budgeting and having them involved with it? Like, I'm just curious what your plan is and what you would recommend for someone whose kid is either like six and just learning money or is like, 16 and you're like, I want to have these skills to manage money and understand it. And because when they like go to college or don't, by the way, like I am all for college if you have a financial plan with it. But I do think I come from a different mindset, like because my parents didn't go to college and that's okay. I think you can still be financially well and happy and have a great career and all the things without a higher, um, what we consider a higher education. I'm very big on like vocational school, et cetera. My husband and I do not come from a mindset of like, we are better than people or more quote unquote educated just based on our degrees. That's just not our mindset. I'm not against it. Again, it's just not our mindset because of how we grew up. We just believe that we are on the same level as everyone else. And so if you have a 16 year old and they want to go to college and do a certain degree or if they want to go vocational school, whatever it is, can you give us like, what are your plans for when your kids are older? Where you're like, this is um, what I want, what I want them to understand and teach them and not to overwhelm them with like, you know, you have to save for retirement, but they also need to know it. They need to know that information. And that's again, where I think Kevin Hart coming back to him, he wants like 16, 17, 18 year old kids to understand that you can do something with that money to save now. Yeah. So both our boys, so I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, both of them have three different accounts already set up. So I have a high yield savings account in their name. Well, it's in both our names. It's a custodial high yield savings account. They both have 529s for college or 
the good thing about 529 now is starting this year, actually. So before the caveat, why I wasn't a huge fan. I liked them, but not a huge fan. It was only for educational purposes. Um, but now, actually, if there's leftover money in it, you can roll it into a Roth IRA. So you can literally like give it to them for retirement. But then we also have a UGMA, UTMA account, which is like a taxable brokerage account for each of our kids. So the reason I mentioned that is my plan is, especially as they probably more closer to like the 16 age than like a six age, because I feel like they'd be like, I don't know what this is, is kind of showing them the power of compound interest. But like, hey, if you, you know, this is how much you have. If you leave this for 30 years, this is what it will be, you know, just to kind of show them like the growth and they literally don't have to do anything except for not touch it. I also plan to involve them in like our budget, maybe not show them like I might do like a mock budget instead of like showing them our true expenses, because I think I don't want to stress my kids kids out when it comes to like expenses to an extent of like oh my god y'all pay a lot or you don't or whatever but showing them like hey you know we make money and then this is where it goes like we pay bills but we also allocate the savings I plan on asking them like what savings goals they have and like helping that you know it might be something for like a toy you know it might I'm not even saying like big goals but like if there's something they want it's like you know let's save for something my um, grandma told me that her mom used to do is like if she saved a certain apart, my grandma would match it or her mom would match it or even give a percentage of it. So it's like, hey, if you save, you know, ten dollars, I'll put ten dollars. And just to kind of show them like obviously that's not realistic when it comes to like life. Someone's not always matching it, but you're kind of helping them save. But also they're doing part of it. So I think finding those little ways or if you're in a store, you can be like, you have twenty dollars. This is fifteen, you know, like kind of just start starting to explain that things cost money. I think I didn't fully understand at a young age, like money was truly real. You know, it was like a real thing. You're like, didn't fully understand what cost of things. So I would like to kind of, like I said, not overwhelm and not stress them out about it, but start to have them form, you know, things or thankfully they will- find a balance. Yeah, totally. One thing I wrote down as you were talking was I've seen this on social media where people, they make like reels or something where they say, this is what wealthy people do for their kids, including some of the things that you just mentioned. And I guess what I don't like about that message is like, you know, you have to be wealthy to do it. And, you know, wealthy, again, I've said this, I think on the podcast, wealth means different things to different people. But I think things that you just talked about that can be set up no matter what, like it could be $5 in a high yield savings account. And remind me what the difference is with high yield savings and a regular savings. It's just that the percentage is higher, right? Like I have one, but I don't, yeah. I just put some money in it. Could you just tell us real quick yeah, what a so high yield savings is? I don't use a regular savings. I say no one should at this point. High yield, all your money should be in a high yield savings account because of interest. Also, most high yield savings accounts are not traditional banks. They're usually online. So there's no fees. There's no minimum balance requirements. You literally can have five cents in there, but the interest rates are wild. For example, like Bank of America in interest rate is like 0.1%. But like Ally Bank for right now is like 4%. So like- But when you take money out of it, isn't there a cost associated with it? No. No, for some reason I thought that. So a CD, if you, a CD, you could put it in, like they're usually higher interest rates, but you put them in for like 12 months CD or whatever. But high yield savings account operate the exact same as the savings that you can transfer it out as, you know, same limit as any savings account. But I mean, I have like nothing in my bank. <laughs> they probably think yeah. I have no money. Yeah, because so you put it. So that's like one one thing you can set that up for your kids. That's a great tip. And the other thing you mentioned, the 529, which in my state, I don't know if they do this for you. There's a grant that when you put every child who's born, all you have to do is sign up for it and you get $500. That's all you have oh to do. Your baby is born. Is It's the Harold Elfond Foundation. And it's amazing. He set this program up that literally every child who is born in my state 
you just have to send it in and you get $500 in their 529. And so you could contribute nothing and it would just grow. But there's also a match associated with it, which I think if you match just 600 a year, then they get they match it. So just exploring like even if setting up a 529, you can only put which is um, for people who don't know that's for supposed to be for higher education. But it can be used for K through 12 as well. So you can use it for private school. And then if they don't go to any higher education, you can now starting 2024, you can leave the money and roll it into a Roth IRA for retirement, or you can switch the beneficiary. So if it's for one kid, you can change the name to your other kid or even just change it to like a grandchild later or someone else. So yeah, I did hear that because like if you have benefit, like we have three kids, you can actually dump all the money into one child and then just which is just wild to me. So there are options for that, even for $5. And then what was the last thing you said you do for kids your kids so i have um it's a it's a custodial taxable brokerage account so it's called um ugma or utma depending on your state so it's like uniform gifts for minor or something pretty much it's just a brokerage account for your child the only the downside of why people don't like it i'm fine with it though is depending on your state it's technically your kids at either 18 or 21 because it is their account so you obviously want to like one make sure your child like one you could technically hide it because unless they file their own taxes they won't know or you just teach them from a young age, like the purpose of it, like this is for a down payment for a house or this is for retirement. You know, this isn't for you to just like, you know, buy, you know, if you teach them the skills, it's just money that they can. There's not any kind of ed, there's no tie to it. It can be used for truly anything or they could literally just let it grow till they're, you know, 60 and have like millions. for retirement. Yeah, well, it's amazing because what you're building here and what my husband and I talk about a lot is generational wealth. Because we have people in our lives that are, they are where we want our kids to be. And we just have to accept that, like, you know what? We took on this, like, overwhelming amount of debt to be whatever, X, Y, or Z. And yes, we are very fortunate and blessed. Like, I'm not, this is not a pity me. Um, but, like, we just, we're thinking about what we want for next for our kids and for their kids, et cetera. And those were just three. That's just a great idea for someone who, like, maybe only has $5 to give to a child each month. But there are places you can do it to build wealth for them and think about generational wealth as well. And yeah, one thing we do too is like gifts. Like my kids are little and obviously get a lot of toys, but like if you have family or friends who like maybe you don't want a lot of toys, most 529s have a gift link. So you can literally email them. They can put in $20 or, you know, instead of like, that's what I do all the time. I last year with my son, I just gave it to my sisters and it was like, we don't need any more stuff. Like, please just contribute. And that's an easy way for you to not have to put anything in, but you can have family or friends do that. And like, especially Especially when they're for me, they're little, like we don't need more stuff. I'd rather like set them up and I don't think they're going to care. You know, I wish I had that personally now being like in my 30s. Like I wish I had that secret account, you know. So even if you can't, if you know, you do have friends or family who do Christmas or birthday or things and maybe there isn't a lot that they like truly need or want in their stage of life, you can send that link and be like, hey, I'd love for you to contribute to his or her future. And even if it's $25, that does, you know, compound and add up. So there's ways to get creative with it, too. That's amazing. Those, those were all really great pieces of advice. I don't fear the spreadsheet would be my number one, but don't fear the spreadsheet. And those are just great things to contribute to the next generation, too. And then don't don't fear it, but let it empower you. I guess that's pretty cool. I want to take a moment to um, so you can talk about where to find you, what your um, and I'll have this in the show notes as well. But just kind of briefly give your information again. This is what I do. This is how I can help you. This is where you find me. Yeah. So Instagram is probably the best place 
to reach out or email. I am on Instagram too much. That's what my phone tells me as like my how many hours I spend on my phone. So financially focused on Instagram, I'd love for you to DM me, tell me what you've learned or like tips, you, you know, kind of what you're working on. I love hearing from people to kind of like, like I said, I can talk about money all day. So I love when people share kind of like what their goals are or their takeaways or even what you're struggling with. My website has everything you need. I have blog posts. I Like I said, I started as a blog. So I have like tons of free blog posts. I have a free foundations course that kind of starts going into like the foundational financial pieces. It won't help you like fully create your budget, but it kind of goes around the mindset piece and paying off debt and just kind of a good place to start. Um, And then my signature program is Flourish Financially. And that's like 12 weeks with me in a small group. Like we cover literally everything. I always say it's like the program that should have been offered in college, but wasn't. So we cover, you know, mindset, debt, budgeting, investing, all the things so that you feel supported. So yeah, that's kind of the best way to find it. Well, thank you again for being here. It was awesome. We could uh, talk spreadsheets all day long. So thank you so much. Yes. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening in today. And I hope you'll be back. Stay curious, stay humble, and always lead with empathy. Please also take a moment to share this episode with someone, this podcast, write a review or comment on my latest Instagram post at hollylogan underscore help. Thank you. Have an awesome day.